there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. Uh, really fun race. And hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from AP. See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. That's the great thing about sport. Make it rain. Make make it rain. You play to win. It is. I mean, that's that's our sport. So. Toughen up, train harder, and get in that pack and make it rain. Make it rain. Make it make it rain. First of all, excuse me, West. Make it rain. I have paraffin ironed onto it once in a while. Make it rain. You see, the critic of air must use air to make a case against air. The fact that he's able to make an argument at all proves that he's wrong. And from that, I, it's sort of up to me to pick the ones that I really like, which is, can't be super hard at that. Yeah. I'm sure you have experience with testing two very nice pairs of skis, you know, that they feel exactly the same. Really. Let's go. Well, ain't no way they can stop me now, daddy, cause I'm on my way, I can feel my way. On the back stretch, it is Mellon and Richardson. During the race, she heard me. I'm very flattered about that. <laughs> you are skiing very wise. You know, we're gonna have to work hard. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to train hard. But you know, this, this group has got a has got an already work ethic. You know, so that's not gonna be the problem. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Cedar Skier Podcast. It is Sunday, February 26th. We just finished watching on skiandsnowboard.live today's team sprint. We saw the Americans take their first medal of these world championships, a bronze from Julia Kern and Jesse Diggins, and then an exciting men's race as well. Well, actually, I don't know if you can really say it was exciting. Yeah, actually, neither one of these races really did it for me, but we'll get to that. Uh, we're going to talk about that. we got to talk a little bit about the American Birkebeiner as well. The results there. We had um, one of our guests on a show perform pretty well on that, if you know who I'm talking about. I'll give you $10 if you can guess who I'm talking about. Um, and then some other topics we didn't get to. Also got to shore up some conversation from yesterday because I didn't even finish what the heck I was talking about yesterday with the girls' skiathlon. I realized in listening to the show after um, posting it because I do try to do that sometimes to see if I made sense or anything, and obviously I didn't. But um, I, I, I didn't even talk about Eva Anderson or Astrid Slind after mentioning them in the opening and saying that those were two of the big key points. So that's what you get with the Cedar Skier podcast. We're all about quantity. We're all about getting out in front first. We're not necessarily about quality or any of that stuff, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? 
So yeah, let's get right into it here. This is yet another instant reaction to the results and today's um, team sprint. We start out, I, I, you know, here's been my strategy in terms of doing the show. Basically, I'm watching, I'm taking notes. Ooh, did you see this? And then I was trying to kind of come up with some thematic things. Here's here's my overall arching feeling about, we'll start with the women's team sprint. I liked the guts. I liked the guts. You saw the race today where from the gun, Jesse Diggins goes out in front. Well, first of all, even before that, they qualify with the number one seed, seed time, combined time. Diggins goes out in front. The Americans lead through the first leg, the second leg, the third leg, the fourth leg, the fifth leg, and then partway through the sixth leg. Okay, so we raced with some intentionality there, and that was that was fun to see. However, there was a part of me that felt almost immediately, well, not immediately, maybe on the second leg or after the second leg, but it was like, okay, we are we are very serious and fervent about remaining in the front throughout the entire duration of this race. There was a part of me that was like, there's no way we're going to win this. And I think the reason you see this, when it comes to front running, front running, front skiing, you know, how do I say this? I think it was almost too zealous. People who win from the front usually pound the competition into submission at some point in the race and then win going away. And even like Ebba Anderson, you know, the way she just tightened the screws in that skiathlon, that's how you go from the front and you don't you don't make it any strategic thing. It's, there's no question of what's happening here. But if you just are in the front to be in the front and everyone else is just biding their time behind you, your front running, front leading isn't really doing anything. I speak from this from experience, actually, and I will I will now, in the next few moments, compare um, the 2013 Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, a Division Three conference, track and field outdoor championships, 10,000-meter run, to yesterday's or today's team sprint. Here it goes. Um, in that race, my second 10K ever was beautiful conditions, like perfect weather, no wind. In the evening, I felt great, felt like I was in shape, you know. And I was like, you know what? You never you never really know how fast or when you'll get a good 10K. You know, in, in Minnesota especially. This was before the time of everyone flying out to California and doing these things. So I, I did run probably the dumbest strategy in a championship race you could possibly do. But for me, it was one of it was it was kind of maybe more just a selfish move. Like, I'm going to make sure this isn't a, you know, we go out in 17 minutes for the first 5K. Like, I'm going to run this as fast as possible. And I, so I led the first you know like 10 laps of that race and then traded off with a couple other people and the serious race you know started happening it starts happening lap 18 19 or whatever and I held on I scored some points it wasn't bad I, I PR'd in the race by like 40 seconds but like in hindsight it was just it was a dumb strategy because like again my leading there was no bite behind the lead you know everyone who was actually gonna contest for this they were just waiting and they were just using me and to some degree it felt like that a little bit in the team sprint where Especially if you look at the body language comparison, the contrast between Shirsi Calvo and Jesse Diggins during a lot of those climbs, like Diggins is motoring up these V2, um, you know, like clearly trying to just be like, I'm staying in front here. 
but she wasn't creating any separation and and Kava was just like drafting in the back and, and using a v1 technique and um and so it's like again I, th- I think i love the guts i love that we came there also kind of trying to make a statement in the first two legs like look we're the americans we're fresh you guys your legs are tired from this gaffalon many of you are you know like we're here. We're ready to go. We came to this championships intending on winning a gold here. So we just want to let you know that. I love that. And I almost think like in hindsight, maybe maybe like three, uh, Diggins should have like messed around with them a little bit and just like plopped right behind second place, saved it up for a really big third leg or something like that. Um, because yeah, it's it doesn't do any good any good to lead just for the sake of leading. I guess that's my point. So there was a positive. There was a negative there, I think. And the other overarching thing I would say is third place to me feels like, well, that's kind of where we would have been slotted. So this wasn't like, you know, I finished it going, wow, yes, we got a medal. You know, obviously that's, that's always a big deal. It's always exciting, but like it would have been, it would have been really monumental, obviously, if we take down the Swedes, there's such heavy favorites. It's a team sprint, you know, like that would have been insane. But I think even getting a silver in like a, and being, being duked out in the final straight away. <laughs> to Sundling would have been uh, a lot more satisfying. Um, this is the this is the second most satisfying though. I will say that because for them to do what they did and make everyone else okay, if you're going to beat us, like we're going to lead until you pass us. You know, like that. I can I can at least accept that. It's it's way better than if we would have gone out there racing for second and then got a, a silver. That would have been really disappointing. You know, like so. Props to Diggins. Props props to Kern for like laying it all out there. I love that. Um, yeah, let, let's let's draw back, dig deeper into some of the minutia here that I noticed um, in terms of the, these attempted breakaways um, by Diggins and Kern. Okay, on because the, they were they were hammering from the front. You know, I think that's we could all at least say that. Like they looked like they were they weren't going to make this slow and strategic. We're going to go fast. Um, I think this really brought out. Some of the differences in techniques climbing between Americans and the Scandinavians. And I mentioned this on a podcast probably like two months ago. Well, no, it was like a month ago, maybe. Sometime around the Tour de Ski, I think. When, oh no, it was longer. It was it was a December broadcast I did. Um, one of the first ones, maybe even. Gosh, I'm trying to think specifically. In my head, I'm picturing Heidi Vang climbing right alongside Jess Diggins in a skate yeah, this was the tour de ski. I think Diggins' amazing uh, tour de ski skate where she, um, you know, made up like 10, 10 spots, you know, like a gazillion seconds. And everyone had counted her out, but she had the fastest time on the day that day. Um, in that race, there was a moment when they were climbing and Heidi Vang using a V1 was just going so much smoother and with less effort. And Diggins at a very high tempo was like just kind of staying with Heidi Vang. Now, Heidi Vang is one of the best climbers on the female side, no doubt. Okay. But today I saw the exact same thing um, with Shirsi Calvo, who was racing against Diggins. And then also even comparing, comparing Julia Kern and um, Tierra Udnes Vang. And Tirolinus Vang has like, she's got, she has good technique. You know, it's, she's a Norwegian, right? So like, it's hard to choose a Norwegian who has like bad technique. And, but I think Julia Kern has pretty solid skate technique too. 
I think one of the more we'll call it modernized skate technique on our team. Like if if the U.S. is a little bit of a mixed bag of different styles from a skate skate perspective, which I think on the on the women's side they are a little bit. They all kind of do what what suits them best. You've got Sophia Lockley who's really high tempo. You've got Jesse Diggins who's really high tempo, and and people love to pick apart Jesse Diggins and her technique. You know, it's it's too bad. It just it is what it is. And Rosie Brandon even is not like you wouldn't you wouldn't point to her as like the model for technique. You know, all of these athletes are great athletes for other reasons. They kind of seem to like grit it out and just make it happen. Uh, maybe Novi McCabe, I would say, has like a pretty athletic, good skate ski technique. But anyway, Julia Kern's right up there. But when you're watching Julia Kern and Tierra Lunas Vang climb, I just felt like Tierra Lunas Vang looked so much more relaxed um, with how her her shoulders were, with how she was driving her her lead arm and her her lead skate or her offset skate. It just it looked. It looked more fluid. Um, and I, I don't... Look, I'm not someone who, like, can claim to teach this well. And I don't claim to do it well myself. <clears throat> when I'm in little dumb citizens races, I feel like I can skate climb very well relative to the rest of the pack. But that means pretty much nothing, okay? So I'm not saying coming out here, if you're like, well, why don't you go coach some kids? No, no. I, like, it's not that. It's just, I feel like my eye, I'm seeing this, it's like a very distinct difference in climbing and skate where like, we just don't look sharp compared to the Norwegians and the Swedes. And I almost feel like that was the difference in today's race because they were, they were able to just manage all those climbs in the first two laps at like 80% effort. Whereas we got Diggins and Kern V2ing up these hills at a hundred percent capacity and not making any separation. So like if we're going to go from the gun, which I love, I love that strategy. You know, me blood and gut, Steve Prefontaine. If we're going to do that, you got to create a gap. And it was like, it looked like our athletes were, were like V2 and super hard. And they're like just trailing right behind in the V1, staying right with them. And, and actually Chad said, he goes, look, Diggins trying to up this tempo and behind them, the athletes are V1ing, which means that they're struggling to keep up. I was kind of like, no, I feel like it's the exact opposite. If you're V2ing up a gradual climb and not breaking away, that's more a testament to, to either your V2ing not being very good or their V1ing being excellent. But either way, the person V1ing is expending less energy, no question. It takes more of a meta, it's a higher metabolic cost to V2 up a hill than it is to V1. It also should be faster. If you're going to spend the, met, the metabolic cost to V2 up a hill, you should be pulling away. So that, that I think on like full display, whatever point I made back in December, if you were like, that's when I said, like, it seems like our, our Americans don't V1 super well. If you were like, that's a, that's a terrible take, Ryan, I disagree. Go back and watch this video because there were like multiple side-by-side shots where we saw, you know, Jess Diggins in front V2ing or Julia Kern V2ing out front and Lada Unis Vang, Anna Shustikavo, um, the Swedes, the pair of Swedes, Rebaum and Sundling, just like not really needing to do much to stay there. Now, I sh- I mean, that's a, b- a bit of an exaggeration. Like, because of the high tempo, it was a pretty pretty fast, solid, you know, pace. But but relatively speaking. And that's why on that third lap, I mean, like, kudos to Kern for holding on. Like, what, what do you expect, though? Not only is she going against these two amazing sprinters, some of the best in the generation on the women's side, but they've just gotten to hop on the train for the, you know, first their first two legs and they waited until this last moment and now it's a drag race. Um, and so I, I still feel like that's something from the grassroots on down, America needs to catch up and be like really efficient on some of these sub techniques. Um, 
yeah, I I think I think that that's where we are lacking probably as a as a country, you know, and it, and it it's it's dialed all the way down to like individual individual coaches being good at it too. You know, in Norway, like in all those little pods of the little kids out skiing, yeah, they're having fun, they're working on stuff, but like their coaches are are athletes who raced for 30 40 years too and still race and like they have good technique too like when everyone has good technique and every model has good technique the kids are then going to have good technique and then they will go and coach their kids and they'll all have good technique so we we that's why we're behind there but it needs to be i think a a really uh concerted effort maybe on the on the part of our up up most high up coaches of going okay we need to really drill good technique into our coaches and make that L100, L200, maybe, maybe that's the way to do it of like really trying to make the requirements for those higher in terms of like, can you either perform or at least identify key components of good technique and articulate those? Uh, because I know like for me too, I, I wouldn't be able to replicate a lot of the things that I know are required for really efficient skate skiing. I, I can even in my lacking ability and you might be like this too as you listen this might resonate with you even in my ability lacking especially on like the skate side i can sense certain things that would make me faster and that i i would assume are are things world cup athletes can do even in terms of like where the weight is on the on the balls of your feet or in your in your boot you know and related to your ski and related to your hips and that entire posterior chain like you, you you sort of like as you, if you are paying attention to your technique and paying attention to form, trying to increase each glide, trying to be more efficient, trying to improve your timing of the pole plant and the, and the leg kick, you can sort of start to go like, oh, wow, yeah, look at this. If I do this, like, I am getting way more bang for my buck. Um, and so we, we need people who are thinkers like that uh, to some degree. And ideally, we need people to be good models because I think kids, they're going to look at you and try to emulate you. Uh Okay, so a little rant there. That was, I think, the biggest takeaway for me. And I think, honestly, um, probably, no, I won't say it. I, I think, I think that, that explains a lot what we saw today, though. You know, if you look at it, it was a, it was a gutsy race, a bold strategy, um, something we can definitely be proud of. The end result wasn't a disaster by any means. We come away with a medal, so that's a positive. In all reality, even if, if the most, in the most perfect world, perfect race scenario, we probably don't win that race anyway. So I love that we took our chances uh, totally. And I just think, you know, this was an example, a prime example of some of those technique things being a huge difference because then Sunling and Vang turn on the jets and they're gone. Actually, that was one other note, technique related. Um, <clears throat> I wrote in my notes, as I saw the breakaway happen, as I saw Sunling crushing it, right? I was like, they've got another gear. And then I, and then I thought to myself, okay, is this gear that they have based more on fitness or more on economy. Um, and I think a younger me, like even having watched less ski racing than I have now, you know, I, I haven't, I don't have a huge library to draw from. I, I'll, I'll fully admit that there's a lot of, a lot of you listeners out there who have seen way more world cup ski racing than I have and competed more as well. So, you know more about this, but even just given what I've seen, a younger me would have said, oh man, this see, that's fitness right there. Like fitness or doping, you know? <laughs> Look at them. They could turn on the jets even after that. Everyone was racing together the whole time, right? Everyone was doing the same thing energy level wise. So those people just had that extra gear. Uh, but now I, I, I tend to feel like 
you know, especially Kern now versus Kern three or four years ago too. She she strikes me as someone who has upped the game fitness wise. Now that could be totally I could be totally wrong. Maybe her distance results that she's had that have been impressive are just kind of random chance. But there's a part of me that feels like she has just kind of matured as a skier. She is in her prime, really. She is she is in her prime, and she's got more years down the road where she will continue to um or can continue to build fitness and build explosiveness as well and so as she gets smarter more experience it's going to all come together right that's the beauty of it but she is in her physical prime i think as a skier and i I didn't see like the wheels come off kind of thing it was more that that when the swedes and norwegians went to that next gear it was all going down the track proverbially speaking what I mean by that is like the ski economy was the difference. You know, if you, you, you can understand this even at an elementary level as a recreational skier, go out and ski and then just go, okay, I'm going to go as fast as I can, you know, for 10 seconds or whatever. And it's amazing how in, in like running, if you well, actually, let me, let me back up, tell yourself, I'm going to go as hard as I can in running. If you go as hard as you can, the correlation between going as hard as you can and as fast as you can, like it's usually pretty one-to-one. I mean, there are obviously people with better running and sprinting technique than others, but, but like you yourself running as fast as you can and as hard as you can, that is a lot more the same thing at peak speed than it is in skiing. In skiing, you can say, go as hard as you can. And it might not even be the top speed you can, because when you start going hard, you start flailing all about doing terrible technique and um, you're you're not you're not getting as much glide distance with each push. You're just being wildly inefficient. But yeah, you're going really hard. Your muscles are burning, and you're you're breathing really hard. Um, and to so we understand that from an elementary degree. And I feel like at the World Cup, this is where we don't get it. We we can't understand unless you've been there. Is the top skiers when they go as hard as they can. 100% of that is go is being translated into ski speed. And if you even have only 96% of that instead of 100%, the difference is like the gap we saw between Kern and Sundling, which was pretty monstrous at in that last um, stretch, right? Like it was pretty crazy how much of an absolute destruction happened from a gap standpoint for Sun- between Sunling and Kern, the winner and Kern, even though Kern wasn't like falling apart at all, you know? So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And this is where I give mad props and mad respects to our World Cup skiers too is, you know, it, for us, Monday morning quarterbacking it, and even worse, someone like me who's not even a World Cup skier, you know, trying to do it. Um, <laughs> like, trust me. I know intellectually that that gap, that that fine line exists. And even if I don't understand it tangibly or have it, have that experience. So something I kind of bring up, something to think about as well, too, as you sort of decide, oh, should I be critical of this person or not? But I think that brings up, you know, a big takeaway from that girls race is just phenomenal job on those athletes. And, and Sunling is really quite, quite an animal and as a skier, you know, like it's pretty crazy. And also, you know, I was kind of ripping a little bit, Tirado Unis Vang on a show maybe a week ago, like, oh man, she just doesn't look like she's in, you know, top form. Or was it even before the sprint? I can't. Maybe it was just after the sprint. So like a few days ago. <laughs> um. Anyway, she looked great in the team sprint. So everyone, let's get back on the Tirado Unis Vang, you know, train. Let's see what she can do. I think the relay, the women's distance relay, is going to be spicy because 
Um, Sweden is going to come in with some heavy hitters in Ebba Anderson and Frida Carlson, and then, like, what, maybe Jonas Sundling and Maya Dahlquist? Yeah, I'm not even sure. Like, I, I, I know I tried to prognosticate that team earlier in the week and, like, totally forgot about Ebba Anderson. So how bad is that? Um, so that team's going to be tough, certainly. Now, it should be interesting the order they choose. I, like, I would maybe anchor with Sundling in hopes that you have a huge lead and then Sundling can just cakewalk it in, and if anyone challenges, she can sprint by. Um, but if they didn't, or if she's not even on there, like now, yeah, if you get if you get an American like Jesse Diggins in there, or you know, if Tierra Luna's Vang is close by at the end, could be interesting dynamics. I think that that women's relay obviously shaping up to be more interesting than the men's side, where like how can anyone stop Norway? And there's a lot of things at play there, not just even the American side. Think about the Norwegian team, like you know, if Astrid Slynn's in there. And they can try and push the pace hard or maybe stay with the Ebba Anderson, Frida Carlson. Like, yeah, that, that could set up a fun showdown there for Tierra Unas Vang in a 5K, I think. Um, and, and then obviously, yeah, the Americans, how they decide to organize their roster is going to is gonna determine that and shape that a little bit as well. Um, speaking of the women's side, yeah, I did not bring up the fact that... Let me just check quick, actually. Make sure I don't have any more notes. Um, oh, I, I, you know, as much as I, if it seemed like I was ripping the U.S. there, the girls, Diggins and Kern here, yeah, I will say this, the the last Diggins leg, <laughs> she, you know, this entire time I've been saying, look, at she's gunning, but she's not creating a gap. That that was not super, that was not so much the case on her third leg. It was pretty cool, actually, to see how she separated but it was more on the on like the flat into the finish. Like it's a little bit of an uphill and then it kind of flattens out. It was actually more that flat portion where Diggins keeping the foot on the gas pedal actually made a difference. And yeah, I mean like someone should go look up the split between her and Yasmin Yonsu because basically the Finns were sort of like still in it. Parmakoski had done something on leg number four, almost went into the lead on Kern. And so, like, the Finns were still there, and everything's going good, and, and Yo, Yo and Sue, like, it was like a 15-second gap when she tagged off to Parmakoski at the end. And so, like, Diggins, now granted, the, the Norwegians and the Swedes, they were still close enough, obviously, right? She didn't blow apart the field that much, but, like, that just goes to show how how well those top three athletes were skiing compared to even just Finland right there. Yo and Sue is a good skier. It's been skiing well. And Diggins, like, created an 8- or 15-second gap in, like, one 1.4K lap. So, I, I don't... Those split numbers aren't exact, but it was considerable. Um, I do have some notes on the guys. Relay, real quick, going through that. Um, I liked the team. I liked JC and Ben. Uh, I I feel like there should have... There was... It left me wanting more, you know? Um, and JC, Schoonmaker, is... If I'm right, I think freestyle sprinting is his is his go-to, right? Or is it one of the disciplines he's he's notably better at? I can't remember which one. Or at least I heard that from some coach. They were saying, like, yeah, he's better at this discipline in sprint. I'm not totally sure. But, um, you know, they kind of stayed five seconds back. Even through halfway, they were five seconds back. Through Ben's second um, time, they were five seconds back. It was really that fifth leg. Um, that was the key one. Klabo was handed a 1.5-second advantage from Paul Goldberg, and, and the rest is history. So Goldberg hammering there was the difference, and I think the Nor- Norway like I kind of I, th- I kind of think this team was actually a much better one than if Volnes is in there. Just having Goldberg the 
the form he is showing in the sprints and the distance was huge because they could really try to use their strength to their advantage and string everyone out. We, we really saw that. The fifth leg was the key one. Um, I know Clabo made a move as well in his leg. Actually, when he tried to break out early, it ended up that he created this gap and then it kind of came back a little bit. Um, but anyway, that that combination was lethal today. And it, it was it didn't even really feel like a like a sprint much at all. There was hardly any sprint action until Pellegrino, man, he turned on the Jets and I was like, dude, let's go. What if this happens? That was an awesome move. You got to think about how loud it was in um, <coughs> whatever viewing party was taking place in Italy. You know, who knows? Is, was everyone gathered in the Coliseum watching on the big screen? I don't know. But no, they, they probably went crazy there. And that was a showman move too because – you know, he he spent his match right there, and it was totally worth it. You know, he doesn't really have probably much of a chance going into the finish, but to go up and pull even with Clabo and make him maybe crap his pants a little bit with, you know, 500 meters to go, I thought that was sweet. Obviously, it would have been amazing if they could have finished in sprinting too, but, you know, there's just no chance when you spotted the guy at 1.5 seconds and everything. So, um, yeah, n- no real drama on the guy's side, and also... I don't think you could really say any huge disappointments other than, you know, maybe maybe you wish the French, the Fran- France would have been second or you thought they could have. But I know that that played out pretty much, you know, how I think to the best everyone, you know, Sweden had a disappointing day. And there was some talk in the press about them having poor skis. Kelly Halverson complaining about that. I don't know. Maybe that was a huge difference. And that team, um, I think, could have been lethal. If with, with Anger, who, who's got to be hungry at this point, man, he talk about a disaster of a world championships for that guy. Like he's coming in guns a blazing, having some really tantalizingly close results in the world cup and the sprint finals. Um, but not like winning. I actually, actually, I don't think he's even podium or if he did podium, he's, he's got one. Let's look it up real quick. Just so I can get that into my head. Edvin Anger, the fist page, but anyway, he's coming in with, Tons of motivation, tons of confidence. He's young, and then to have what happened in the team in the um, sprint is terrible. World Cup, thirteen starts, no podiums. Okay, so he's twenty years old, but yeah, really, really a contender in the sprint. Now this course didn't really suit him. The conditions really didn't suit him, and then of course he got unlucky. But you know, he it's too bad. This team's if what if that's true that the skis were bad as well, that's a disaster, and that's really unfortunate on the on the Swedish side because yeah, he's just having a terrible terrible world championships but but as a 20 year old that's awesome honestly the terrible world championships as a 20 year old those are sometimes the best thing that could possibly happen to you you know because you you train a lot harder and come back and when you're actually in your prime 24 you know 26 you've got you've got experience and you've got motivation versus you know if he comes here and gets like third that's not let's say he got third in in the sprint those are kind of athletes sometimes that they don't have enough hunger to come, to really fulfill their potential and maximize it. He is the kind of guy who his potential is his ceiling is gold in a sprint at a global championships, no question. Um, and, and he 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 stands a good chance to do that because he's like seven years younger than Clabo. So at some point, Clabo probably will you know bow down out of the sprint realms, and you know Anger is going to be there as well. Tarentev of Russia, obviously has the potential to do that as well, especially in the classic sprint. But yeah, I mean, this might be all the better for him. And before I finish the show, got to go back just a little bit in the skiathlon. 
Um, we'll kick it off here with actually an Instagram post from Rosie Brennan. I thought was kind of interesting. This was just a couple of hours ago. <clears throat> um, and she's got a picture of her hitting the deck. Ski comes off. By the way, that, yeah, the, the ski definitely came off after the fall. That was not like, at least from the video. Now, if, if Rosie Brennan herself can go, no, dude, you got no clue. Like, it totally malfunctioned. That is different. But to me, if you watch the, the highlight clip, like, she hits the deck and the ski like pops way up. I suppose there's possible it's a possibility that there would have been like a minor malfunction that caused the fall and then it snapped off as a result of the fall. So I guess I shouldn't say, you know, you know um emphatically what I think happened there, but to me that's a fall and the ski comes off as a result, not the other way around. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Um she says here it talks about her her heart sank as she went through the mix zone more than the race itself. She says, I've won World Cups and been on podiums and have very rarely been stopped to talk to media, like counting on one hand the number of times. First of all, Rosie, you're welcome on our show anytime. We got Tyler Cornfield on. It was a great talk. I'm sure you'd be a fantastic guest. We'd love to have you. Um, so Cedar Skier Podcast, emails at cedarskier at gmail.com. And you can be a guest anytime. You can, you can have, you can talk on our show to our platform as many times as you want for the rest of time. Okay, Continue. Yesterday, I was stopped by every single media outlet that is at the championships, and most were doing their best to get me to say something bad about the course or the organizers or anything negative rather than focusing on the fact that I didn't give up. Okay, this there's so much to unpack here. Yeah, go back and listen to our show the other day where the interview kind of starts off. Someone was one of those journalists trying to get her to say, so was the course good, bad? And she just, no, it was fine. And it was hilarious. It was like the, the second I heard that clip, I was like, ooh, this this sounds like an athlete kind of annoyed at that question. And, and, and yet there's a little bit of like a smile in her voice. Like, look, dude, I'm not going to say what you want me to say here. I'm just not going to do it. And to be honest, I was fine. Yeah. And, and for Rosie to say it was fine is saying a lot because if anyone of anyone that the course had its way with, it was Rosie Brennan the other day, right? Like she, she suffered the highest consequence from the course being what it was so for her to just look at the guy the deadpan she's like no it's fine yeah that's great um and then the other thing yeah people didn't really focus other than us that we'll say on our show if you go back and listen the, the thing i kept bringing up was how amazed i was that she not only didn't like she she didn't even stop to like i don't know shake out the cobwebs you know like again i'll bring it up if, if one of us took that that fall in training or a race, it would take most people a moment to like just go, what just happened? Like my head hurts, my my butt hurts, anything, everything probably hurt. That was a wicked crash. And she's like getting up, starting to ski away. And then the zoom when they zoomed in close to her, like classic striding past people afterwards, you could just see in her eyes, like she's trying to blink, you know, blink out snow. And like I, her glasses were probably totally destroyed, right? I mean, and I was just thinking that time too, is like, your heart is going to be racing for so many different reasons. You know, one, you're you're stressing yourself because it's a distance race. Everyone obviously knows that. Two, you're now stressing that part more because you're trying to catch up. Three, you, you have the adrenaline factor of taking that wicked crash. And four, you have the emotional side. You're trying to go, okay, everything I've worked for for the last four years, eight years, 16 years, um, just came down to that. I was in the race. I was doing the best I possibly could. And now I just crashed out. Uh, that is such a heavy load to bear and Rosie Brennan didn't flinch and she got in there and she stayed focused and she performed well and she was our top finisher it still blows my mind after all of that 
that she pulls it out. And that's Sydney Palmer Ledger had a had a great run. So it's like it's not like she placed 40th and she was our top finisher. She was she was 19th. So yeah, I'll say it again. Spent more time on the wave. You're saying. Yeah, we did mention that, but we're obviously in the minority, and that's a bummer, and obviously ticked off Rosie Brennan a little bit. And she continues and says, at the end, I was asked if Norway was ruining the sport by winning too much, and first off, a Norwegian didn't win yesterday, so short answer, no. Greatest run-on sentence in the history of run-on sentences there. I just love it. Uh, Yeah, if some Norwegian reporter would have asked me that, I'd have been like, oh, you mean Sweden? Like, I would have just been like, you mean Sweden, the team that took one, two, three, four in the sprint, and then one, two in the skiathlon. Is that who you're referring to? <laughs> because you know they would have been ticked, the Norwegians, right? They're like, is it so sad that we are dominating all of your, this pathetic little world championships? No, I'm not sure what you're talking about. You know, like, um, anyway, yeah, Norway is dominating on the men's side. And if we want to fill in this rant, here, here's my too long didn't read on that. No, that's not ruining the sport. If anything, it's making it better. When there is dominance, people are intrigued by that and and well there's two things here really is how dominant is norway like just chill out a moment okay because like it's it wasn't that long ago basically pre-clabo 2016 2017 when there was still a lot of parody going on even on the guy's side and the russians aren't here right now so i know you're norway's pretty scared about that too like they're the ones on the forefront of like no we can't have we can't have any russians come back to compete like yeah, they're they're thrilled about that that the Russians aren't here because it would be it would be making it a heck of a lot more interesting, especially on the guy's side, but certainly on the girl's side too. Um, so yeah, great job, Rosie Brennan, saying that it's like no, it's not ruining the sport, and no, it's not happening to quite the same degree you guys would like to think. But that's the narrative everyone wants to keep coming back to is oh, it's so boring. Stop that, okay? And I, it is annoying to hear even on other shows <laughs> when people are like. Oh yeah, the 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 guys' race was just dumb. Oh, but let's talk about the girls or the the women's race and how how great that was. That's not always the case, okay? Like I tune in to Ski and Live because I want to see the next amazing. I I enjoy witnessing history, and everyone else does too, okay? Every it's just human nature when you see the greatest of all time at their craft, you want to witness that. We are tuning in to see Johannes Klabo. Now, the women's races are certainly providing parody and that's interesting that is a type of interesting thing as well but dominance streaks um those are what create stakes and storylines that are like just embedded into our bodies so so we are absolutely intrigued by the norwegian dominance on the men's side and we are entertained by the women's side but but a lot of what makes the women's racing exciting for american fans if we're being totally honest is that the americans are good so once again, it's excellence that is drawing us to these women's races. Could anyone honestly sit here and go, man, I just love watching um, a different podium every single week on the women's side if the Americans weren't at all in the conversation? That would be boring. No one would care that it's, in fact, in, to some degree, that's annoying when it's like so much parody. You've got, you don't really know, like, it, well, what, what happens is it starts to not mean as much to win because, well, every, every, a different person wins every week. So that's one thing I will say is like as much fun as parody is on the women's side, the fact that people aren't winning all the time makes that win less meaningful, which is why these sprint races are pretty fun because like we have someone to take down. We have a big bad person to take down. We got the Swedes. We have Sundling. We have whatever. Like that's interesting. And even on the distance side, 
okay, Yoag was getting kind of boring because she was just so much better than everyone. But like, it's fun with Ebba and Frida. There's drama there. They're the top. They're the top dogs. And like, let's go after them and try to take it down. If those two were gone and someone else meddled, you'd just be like. Phew. Who cares? You know, you didn't beat Ebba, so it doesn't even count. And anytime Clavo's not in the sprint field and anyone wins, it shouldn't even count. They should just wipe it away from the World Cup, like, database. You know, it's like, or it should have an asterisk in there. Johannes Clavo wasn't even in the field. <laughs> like, this, get to work. Get your anal- your record keepers to add that in. I think it's absolutely necessary. Okay, I was talking about Skiathlon stuff. What? Did- oh, yeah. Ah, Slind. I did not give her enough time a day. I don't know how I did. I'm the double pole mastermind. Still haven't got an email from Ski Classic Superfans, so maybe it doesn't matter that much. No, actually, here's the thing we can learn from Slind. First of all, she has beautiful classic technique, and that's been talked about, so I won't harp on it, but it is awesome. The other thing is, um, oh, the, the thing in my notes I wrote, I'd like to know if she, if she had to, how fast she could double pull this course. That would be interesting. I'd love to see someone take the splits from her yesterday and then just go, okay, now double pull this course and see what happens. Love to know the difference. Like a ski classics person double pulling that. You know, we saw Musgrave do that to epic fail and the other early in the year. But like, um, yeah, let's see what, I wonder what Slint could do because again, this course doesn't strike me as one on the classic side. The skiathlon side was like ridiculously crazy, uh, but I don't know, could be wrong. Double pull fitness does help your V2. Okay, that was the point I wanted to bring up with Slynn. I think she has two lessons we can bring. One for the one for World Cup athletes and one for Ski Classics athletes. And that is that um, for, for Ski Classics athletes, look, you don't have to double pull um, seven days a week, 351 days a year, okay, to be a great Ski Classics racer. Slynn is one of the best Ski Classics racers, okay? So... Um, and she varies up her training. She was skating a couple times a week. She had on her mind doing some of these World Cup races. So, bam, there you go. The the ski classics, the mind-numbingness of some of the people's routines, which is legendary, and it's it's hilarious almost. It's like its own cult. You know, like the Max Novak's five-hour double pull sessions five days a week and then two days where he probably just, like, lays on his back and watches YouTube videos of Anders Auckland double pulling on a roller ski treadmill. That's legendary, but it's probably not holistically healthy, you know, like, and, and I don't even think it's the best thing for your skiing fitness. So Slind proving that mixing it up a little bit, doing different types of skiing, it can help your ski classics performance. Um, now flipping it back the other way, actually, I'm going to interject in the middle. Here's something we have to, we have to realize as well. 10 years ago, the ski classics could have been dominated by just any old World Cup person or or someone from the World Cup who's like retiring and wants to keep skiing, it was that. It was it was like in America now, like the Lopet series too. If you took any like World Cup or team, you know, Team USA athlete of any level, and even if they weren't that great in the World Cup, they could take five years off, hop into like a Lopet race and win, you know, by by two minutes. And um, the the ski classics was like that on a much higher level. And that's why, you know, 10 years ago, you saw Anders Auckland breaking through. It was maybe more, ten, more than 10 years ago. But but even, you know, recent vintage, you know, athletes will just go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm done with the World Cup season. I'll hop in the ski classics race and I'll probably win. Look, at those days are pretty much gone, okay? And so for those of you out there who are like World Cup purists and say that's real skiing, it's fine if you want to say like that's real skiing or whatever. But you can't say that any World Cup skier could go to the Ski Classics and win. That is absolutely not true. And it's proven out. 
you know, we haven't seen a, a World Cup skier do that. Maybe Nienget won a race. It was one of the, maybe ride slope it. I can't, it was the one I think that you had to stride some. And he, it wasn't like a going away win. You know, Slin beat Yoag in the Birkin. Obviously that one, they can exclusively double pull both men and women. But anyway, I, that, the, look, at what the Ski Classics guys have done, especially now with athletes going right to Ski Classics at like 22, it's just, it's just, it's its own, it's its own realm now. Okay. So yes, it used to be the equivalent of a Tour de France skier hopping into some gravel grinder. It is not that anymore. Okay. It is, it's, it's just a, it's just kind of a different sport. Yes. It's still in snow. Yes. There's still skis, but, but that game has been amped up pretty considerably, you know, like, I'm sorry, like <laughs> maybe Bolshanov. I think it'd be interesting, honestly, like take, take Bolshanov and stick him in like an exclusive, like the Vasilopet. I don't think he would win, especially if he would just train for the normal World Cup and hopped in. I, I really don't think he would. So that's something. Okay, so what's the lesson I think World Cup athletes can take here? I think I think to some degree, double pole hasn't been taken maybe as seriously as it could be. I think there might be some room. It's not it's not like a dramatic, okay? And I know World Cup skiers train a lot of double pole with throughout the year. Like they have double pole only workouts and whatever. But what I mean by this is like, I don't think a lot of athletes really think about double pole to the degree that they could like extrapolate even tiny inches of gain on World Cup courses. Um, And, and we, a little bit in LaRousse, like this came into play when Slind, I think took down, who was it? Osberg, I think they were the ones kind of duking it out in that in that master at classic and and the thing I, I brought up on the broadcast was like Slynn is able to double pull some portions of this course and just give herself a little bit of a reprieve like she's not working as hard because double pull is less metabolically cost uh it has less metabolic cost than striding so like if you're strong enough to double pull and more importantly efficient enough to like allow your body weight and body position get you down the track there is some there's some cost savings to double polling compared to striding. Certainly at certain grades, there definitely is. And so she was kind of just like, you know, chilling out. And even on some parts where there were like double pull, everyone's double pulling, Slind could either break away or, or really recover because her double pull was just better than everyone on the world cup. Like her flat double pull, it just is. So like, you know, yeah, the world cup spending, you know, I know these aren't numbers, but like they're spending $60 to double pull across this flat and Slind is either spending 20 bucks or spending 60 bucks and creating a three second gap. You know, that that's what it was. And on this skiathlon, you know, like it wasn't so much that that was evident, although <clears throat> maybe on double pull sections, it was the same thing where she was able to just kind of generally speaking on the first seven and a half K not expend much energy. I, I don't really think that was that she was, she was kind of just in the pack striding when they were striding, double pulling when they were double pulling, not, not really trying to like make a difference, but, but was almost more evident is like her skate technique, I think is good largely because of her double pull base. Like her V2 was strong throughout that race. So, you know, she didn't come apart at all. And, and I think that's there. So those are the two things that I would, I'd wonder if, even if it's like a really minute thing is like tweaking with double pole, um, trying to be the most efficient double polar. I know that's like not a lot of the world cup courses are 
double pole dependent really but i think the impact that it can have on the rest of your skiing is something that could potentially impact a world cup skier and and slind might be evidence of that because like the majority of her training is double pole training so even though yes she's got a massive real skiing background so there it's not like it's not like you're plucking you know um who's the uh Emil Pearson and sticking him in here right that that could be a disaster but like she's got something to work with but also the majority of her training is double pole and it just kind of goes to show that like because for her that's essentially dialed into perfection it is so critical that it makes her an acceptable skate skier too and I think that's what we saw is like she was an acceptable skate skier just on the virtue of her double pole prowess now um the other thing is when it comes to load, athlete load, I sort of briefly brought this up, but I'll just kind of say it again. Look at what Slind has done. She she approached this year, obviously, like prioritizing a few different goals and not being so laser hyper-focused and hyper-stressed about like one race or one specific event or one week or, you know, whatever. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to try and win the Vosel Open. I'd love to qualify for the World Championships. Heck, maybe I'll even do one and fly to the Vosel Open and do, you know, back-to-back days. That's that's the plan. You know, it was it's a little more of this cavalier, like, what do I got to lose? I'm 35. I've got a lifetime of fitness under my belt. I can do whatever the heck I want. And and I think, like, that's the cockiness that I love in the veteran skier, knowing, like, you guys get so hyper focused on oh should i take this race off should i take this weekend off maybe i'll just you know drop out of this race because i don't want to burn too many too much energy or i can't go to altitude for this training camp or i need to recover at sea level it's like you guys are wasting more energy fussing over these things when you could just ski and just be just enjoy it and just get out there and 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 yet obviously be be healthy sleep eat right you know, train, rest, and recover. But like, you'd be, you basically, you'd be amazed at what the body's capable of dealing with if you like were just chill out about it. And that's kind of slind. Like her approach here is like she's taking every World Cup race opportunity she gets. She's absolutely slaying it when she's doing it. And then she's going and racing the ski classics and destroying people there too. And she doesn't care. She doesn't give two hoots if it's like five days apart or ten hours apart. She's gonna go romp on people. And if she, just mark my words, I'll, I'll make his prediction here. If she if she gets in that 30k classic here at World Champs, I think she will I think she could win, honestly. Like I, I especially if the conditions are tough. Like Frida Carlson even said it. She's like nervous about Slynn. Carlson's not in the in absolute top Frida Carlson form. You know, she said that too. Ebba Anderson is a is a also a strong classic skier. Got to get to her in a minute. Um but if it's like a tough grinded out race she is gonna do really well slind is and then she's gonna go to the vassal open just destroy people too you think so too you want to say something okay you're gonna be on the show what do you gotta say you got a good cup there what are you doing with it oh okay novi just hopping in here she's gonna type some notes here on the other computer i think don't get on my training journal i have to remember all those hours that i've trained and races i've done well, when you get old enough, you're not going to believe I did it. That's what my mom told me. Uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Okay. Get to work now. Right, so, yes, Lynn, excited to see her. Also, Eva Anderson. I love Eva Anderson, man. Eva Anderson is awesome. I thought um, 
I heard Devin Kershaw say Evan Anderson's not as good of a classic skier, a better skate skier. I was this this probably shows actually just how little I know about skiing. When I was watching it, I was almost thinking the opposite. Like Evan Anderson as a classic skier, she's someone who could go and ski the the ski classics, I think. Her double pole is powerful. It's strong, man. It's strong. And you saw this too. If you want to go back and you really want to dork dive this, Eva Anderson was like double polling um, sections of the course that the the rest of the pack behind her was striding. And I think that was like, holy crap, Eva Anderson is like going to pull away from us just double pulling this. She's got she's got good power. She knows when to up the frequency. Yeah, she. I think she's a, a, a good classic skier from that standpoint. Now, her calling card all around is just being like tough and making everyone breathe really hard. You know, like if you want to beat up Anderson, you're going to kind of suffer doing it. She, she, she is, um, someone who skates, you know, very aerobically and, and classic skis aerobically too. And, but yeah, watching her skate ski, I was like, man, she, um, she has her, her feet come up actually kind of high. Like she almost wastes energy when she skates skis a little bit. Uh, and she has a pretty high frequency. She's not like trying to get all of the uh, all of her body weight up and over her skate push in a really efficient manner, like you see some of the Norwegian women can do, where like they can they can uh, get a a really great glide length from less energy because of their body position at the moment of pulling. Eva Anderson doesn't care about any of that really. It's just like I uh, she relies more on the high frequency uh, and and just skiing away from people doing that. And it's pretty fun to watch. Like to me. Maybe this is just she. She seems to me like I don't know the the Laura Ingalls Wilder of like cross country skiing. Like she's got that just pioneer toughness look to her, and like I'm just I'm not I'm not thinking super hard about stuff. Like I'm in the lead. I'm just gonna ski away from everyone. And and like I picture Ebba Anderson being someone that if you skied with her on one of those days where you're like out in a field and it's 75 mile hour winds and you're skiing on sandpaper, dry snow that's like not even moving she would just go out there even no matter what the workout prescribed for the day was and she would just hammer and ski away from you you know like i gotta get back i gotta get back to my log cabin my family's counting on me and then bye you know you're gone and like i don't know maybe this makes no sense but it's probably a good good thing our show is wrapping up but anyway i love eb anderson and i think she's gonna take two more medals here i think i think she 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 could win 30k i think she'll probably win another gold on that relay she, she's gonna walk away with three gold medals probably from today Novi, are you gonna blow something up here uh-oh. yeah uh-oh is right all right well uh anyway snow's falling down here hope you enjoyed this instant reaction show we have i have an announcement to make we have a great exciting guest coming on our next show he uh I'll just give a clue. He's someone who is competing at this world championships. He's going to be joining the Cedar Skier podcast um, with us. We'll try and get that show. It hasn't been recorded yet, but we're, we're going to get the get on the phone um, with this person, and then we'll we'll post it immediately because it's it's kind of exciting. I've been working at getting this guest, and I'm thrilled that they're going to join us. So that's coming up, something to be excited about. We're so glad that you enjoyed us on this show, and hopefully you're enjoying some of these other recaps as well. Appreciate all the messages I get from um, fans and listeners. I try to respond as much as I can too. So if you got something you got to say, an opinion or anything like that, I'd love to hear it. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, get out there, keep on striving, keep on skiing.